want to invite you this morning to take your Bibles with me to Daniel chapter number 1. Daniel 1 is where we are headed. You know, as we look at a, a new year, it's always an exciting time for, uh, for our lives and what, as we regain new focus and as we set new vision and goals for a new year. As a church family, we are certainly working hard as a staff to establish continual goals from year to year. There's really no new vision set out for 2019 except for that we need to sharpen what we are already doing. We want to continue to love God and love people. And how do we focus in on that with worship and discipleship and then through ministry and community? And so you continue to pray as a body, as a church body, that we will put into practice and put into place those elements and those things which cause us to naturally be drawn to do those things. I'm thankful to be a part of this church where a culture of care and a culture of loving people is just pouring out, and I'm thankful for that. Now, you may be looking at your new year, and maybe even right now, some of you are like, New Year's resolutions, it's already January 6th. I mean, that's long gone by now, New Year's goals. Uh, some of you are thinking, I set out strong, I was going to do it, and uh, maybe you puttered out of, the, out of the gate, and now you're just kind of wondering if you're going to survive the first couple of weeks of the new year. You know, it's interesting so often that the Christian life is, is so difficult that we carry a lot of guilt with us, and that guilt consumes our mind and our passion so much that we can't even focus on living for God, or even gaining a sense of His uh, approval or His forgiveness in our life. Be willing to forgive yourself. Be willing to look in the mirror and say, yeah, you goofed, big guy, but God forgives and we can move forward. The just man falls seven times, he gets back up, and he goes at it. And so broken relationships can be healed. Frustrations in your life can be worked through. Discouragement and disappointments, they're going to happen. You can't avoid them. And so when they come, face it straight on, and with God's help and his perseverance, find victory through him. And also, I want to really encourage you to find some, some help. Find friends. If you've got a broken marriage, find help. Find somebody that has a marriage that you can learn from and observe and to learn through. If you're having difficulty with your kids, hey, find somebody that can look at biblical principles with you and help you to go through some things that God will strengthen your mind with. If you're looking at a life that is discouraged and in despair, find your help in a friend so that you can both look to God's word, praying together and finding that encouragement from his word. Don't try to go at life alone. You know, one of the greatest mistakes that Christians make is isolation. We feel like we're the only ones, and we think that we're the only ones that have goofed, or we're the only ones that are in this bad shape. And we think that everybody else who's all prim and proper sitting in the auditorium has it all made and all together. That husband and wife that are sitting close together and smiling at each other, they just had a major blow-up this morning on the way to church, and they're trying to hide it from you, and most of the time they do a very good job at that. Then other people, they're just trying to... They're just trying to make it day in and day out, and we're good at fooling each other. So look at each other and realize that we're all in this Christian life together, struggling one day at a time, striving to be more like Jesus Christ. We can see victories in this new year. You look at 2019 and you say, God, this is the year that I take steps forward in my walk with you. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Doesn't mean you're going to have great success in every area of your life. But it does mean that you're going to submit yourself and be moldable and humble to him and he's going to give you victories that you never thought possible. That comes with a life that is fully consecrated to him. So that's all a side note today. We're going to go to Daniel chapter 1 with some other thoughts. 
But that was something that the Lord encouraged my heart with this morning. I really wanted to share that with you as well. So this morning, we look at Daniel chapter 1. Even with some of these new thoughts going into the new year. Last week, we looked at Isaiah. We talked about how we need to look past our past. Understanding that there's some things that are dragging into the new year. We need to amputate it, cut it off, and realize that's over. This is a new year, the new me, and a new vision, new goals. So we got to look past that. But then we also need to find ways to celebrate the victories in our life. And now all of that kind of comes together with today in Daniel chapter 1. Now when we look at Daniel chapter 1, this is a familiar story that many even in here, you probably saw this uh, on the flannel boards of your Sunday school class 25, 30 years ago. Maybe this is a story that you saw acted out in junior church when you were a kiddo. Or some of you have taught this story, you've studied this story, and it's a familiar story. Now, for others in here, you're thinking, wow, what is this that everybody else knows about? Well, you're not alone. There are several in here who are thinking, okay, what is this story that we need to hear? So Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 8 is going to be our text this morning, and we're going to look at some really important truths that kind of carry on into us today, into our Christian life. How do we see victories in our life today in order to find ourselves moving forward with God and not falling backwards? Now, all of us in here would freely admit that we're in a world and in a society that wants to squelch our faith. We're living among a culture that wants nothing to do with God's church and God's people. Now, there is a sugarcoating that's taking place that's trying to say, we'll take a little bit of your Christianity or your religion... As long as you allow me to dump my five-gallon bucket of, 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 of nastiness all over you, and you have to take it. And that's just the culture and society that we live in. So we have to be vigilant. We have to be aware. We have to be concerned. And honestly, with the devil, we need to take it personally. Because the enemy, the devil, is seeking to, to destroy us. He wants to destroy our marriages. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your relationships. He wants to destroy your home. He wants to destroy your very life. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ as a Christian, well, then you understand that the devil has lost you for all eternity. So he's going to do everything in his power with his army to cause you to be ineffective for God's work and for God's glory. And unfortunately, there are too many Christians who are allowing that ineffectiveness to be in their life, and they're not being used by God. They've allowed the culture to shape them. They have been conformed to whatever it is that the world wants to pass them on by. So when we look at Daniel chapter 1, we're going to find a tremendous example of how there was a man and three friends who stood firm in what they believed, and they were not going to waver from that. And so let's look in Daniel chapter 1, and we'll, we'll find our text today here in this first verse. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, little g, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God, false deity. Verse 3, And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no such thing, and the tongue of the Chaldeans, the cream of the crop they are to pick. Verse number 5, The king appointed them a daily provision 
of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before or serve before the king. Verse 6. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. This morning we're going to look at this text of scripture. We're going to see Daniel, his three friends that we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How they stood firm in what they believed. They would not back down from it. And so this morning we'll look at all rise, Daniel chapter 1. Father, as we jump, jump into this passage this morning, we admit that we need you today. We come as just really normal people. There's nothing very super about us. There is nothing extraordinary about us other than our story of grace from you in our life. So we all have day in and day out struggles that we try to do our very best to find victory in you and we live those lives to your honor and glory. But as we sit in our pew and chair today, we just come depending on your strength and guidance with this message. So Lord, I pray that this would not just be some time of of speech or time of order, but that this would be a time of delivery of your spirit, of your message to our hearts. And so may we be humbled and may we be open, moldable, ready to hear from you. If there be an area in our life that needs to be fine-tuned, that needs to be chiseled away or needs to be tweaked, that we would find it in ourselves to humble ourselves before you and willing to change, to be more like your son Jesus. Bring conviction to our heart and bring us to a place where we would be obedient, not just being a hearer of the word, but being a doer, that we might apply your truths to our life today. We'll praise you for it, give you all the honor and glory for what you and only you can accomplish. So we pray this in your son's holy name. Amen. So right away as we jump into this passage, we know that there's a lot going on with Daniel and his three friends. Last week when we studied the book of Isaiah, we saw that the the nation of Israel had been split up into a northern and southern region. The north was called Israel, the southern region was called Judah. And this was going on for many, many years. And finally then, Daniel comes into the scene in, in this book of the Bible, and we find that now Judah is going to be taken and besieged by Babylon. Last week when we studied Isaiah, we knew that Isaiah was giving the prophecy from God that God was going to bring judgment to the people of Israel and that they were going to be taken into captivity at some point and that when they were taken into captivity, that God was still going to be sovereign on the throne and in control, but that they would need to submit themselves to God's will and God's way. So now here we are, we rush ahead maybe 80, 90 years, and we find that now Daniel is living in this time. And so I want us to see some things that are really important from what took place here to what we can be aware of and be very careful of here. The world, well, the world tries so desperately to compromise our principles. In verse number five, the king appointed them the daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank. He wanted to nourish them for three years that at the end thereof they might stand or serve or act on the behalf of the king. Now, Daniel had a great solid background because in God's sovereignty, Daniel was a child during a really great time. It was King Jehoiakim. Uh, excuse me, Josiah was on the throne. And 
As Josiah was on the throne, you had the prophet Jeremiah. He was in the pulpit, and he was giving the voice of God to the people. And so you had Josiah, Jeremiah. Things were going well for Judah, and and things were being God-honoring because in the eighth year of Josiah's reign, to purge Judah and Jerusalem of, of all the idols, the false gods that they had gathered, and they were worshiping, and they were following, and they were trusting in. And then he began to refurbish and rebuild Solomon's temple. And while they were doing this, they found a very special book. It was the book of the law. And as they dust off the book of the law and put it into the hands of Jeremiah the prophet, Jeremiah would stand and he would give readings of the book of the law. And a great revival happened in the land, one of the greatest revivals that Israel had ever seen. And in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 25, this is what the Bible says about who King Josiah was. It says, And like unto him was there no king before him, that turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, neither after him arose there any like him. That was Josiah. That was who Daniel looked up to. This would have been his king. But then Josiah dies and his son takes the throne. His name was Jehoiakim. You saw him in Daniel 1, verse number 1. Jehoiakim takes the throne, and under his wicked reign, we find that Israel turns back to their wickedness, their idols, their false deities, and, and, and turning away from the things of God. The law of Moses was not important to them anymore. Jehoiakim was in charge, and he was going to live by pleasures and passions instead of by purity and by God. And so now we find here that God is going to allow the Babylonians to come in and besiege the people of Judah and Jerusalem. That's where we pick up in verse number one. Now, what's going to take place is that you're going to find that there's going to be a lot that's going to be hammered into the eyes or into the face of Daniel and his three friends. Now, we think about this, compromising our principles, compromising our things, that which we live by as Christians. We live in a day where the world is attacking our Christian principles, are we not? Our position and conviction on many things that we stand wholeheartedly as being Bible-based are the very things that the culture and world around us is attacking. Now, we use this term very loosely today when we speak of the world around us. We're not speaking of the trees and the earth that God created, but we're speaking, and not even speaking of the people, but we're speaking of the worldly philosophies or the ungodly philosophies and teachings that is anti-God and anti-Christianity. The Bible reminds us in the New Testament writing, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. The world there meaning the worldly, ungodly philosophies, principles, and teachings. And by the way, parents, these worldly philosophies and teachings are in the public school system that we have to be aware of. It doesn't mean that we boycott the public school system, but it means that as parents and grandparents and as local churches in a community like this, we stay aware of what is happening. We pray fervently for the godly teachers that are in the public school system, that they can have discernment and wisdom of how to teach and how to make an impact in the young hearts and lives of their students. And so it's not homeschool against Christian school and Christian school against public school and private school is just somewhere else in its own little world. It's, that's not what it's about. It's about understanding that in any environment, your children are being opened up to a philosophy and teaching by the culture around them 
that wants to steer them completely away from Christian principles, away from God. So we cannot become lazy, we cannot become complacent, we cannot become easygoing, go with the flow. It'd be very easy for us to throw our kids in front of a TV, turn it on and say, let it entertain you for an hour, but we have to use discernment. It'd be easy for us to take them to the library and say, grab a couple of books, read the books and enjoy them because learning is great experiences or takes you on wonderful adventures. But again, we have to be discerning of what they're reading, what they're digesting and what they're taking in. You know, we think about these symbols over conviction. They're broad. They're over a lot of different things that we stand on biblical principles over with the Bible. But uh, Washington, D.C. and Hollywood, California, they have no desire to preserve the purity of Christian principles. And, and that's okay because we don't put our trust in them. We don't put our, uh, we don't put our foundation in D.C. or in Hollywood. Uh, Hollywood is not going to teach you how to have a godly marriage. Uh, D.C. is not going to teach you how to train your kids. Uh, Hollywood doesn't care what kind of person you turn out to be. So that's why we don't, we don't invest in them. That's not where we put our passions. We put our passions in those things of God's teaching. Amen. This type of thing is going on around us each and every day. And this is what God said about it in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He said, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. That word perilous means difficult. It means dangerous. It's the same Greek word that was used in the New Testament in Matthew 8, 28, that described the two that were possessed by demons. When they came out of the tomb or out of the cave, they were exceeding, here's the word, fierce. The days we live in are dangerous. They are perilous times. They are difficult. It is difficult to live a holy life. It's difficult to not be so isolated from the world, but yet not changed by the world. It's so difficult to find what is right as opposed to what is wrong. And even within the church world, too many people are dumbing down the gospel and trying to sugarcoat sin so that everything can be accepted. And it's all being disguised by us becoming tolerable or tolerating and for us to be really caring, loving, and non-judgmental. But see, what Jesus would, or what Paul would write to Timothy is he would say, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. That's the phrase for being selfish. They are covetous. That's lovers of money. They are boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. They're unthankful. They're unholy, without natural affection. That means they're heartless, hard-hearted toward kindred. They are truce breakers, false accusers. They are without self-control. They are fierce, meaning brutal. They're despisers of those that are good. They're traitors, they're reckless, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness or having an appearance of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. You say, what is that list? This list of attributes that characterize the unsaved is similar to the list that Jesus would give in Mark chapter 8. And what is so tragic is that they hold to a form of godliness, but they deny God's power. Because, see, when God's power is truly in us, it transforms and changes us. Amen. And so when you look at that list, if any of those things can be described as you, that's a list of the unrighteous. That's a list of the unsaved. Hey, teenagers, you're struggling with, uh, with obedience to mom and dad? Did you hear that one that was listed in the attributes characterized by the unsaved? It said, disobedient to parents. 
That's why, mom and dad, it is important that you nip that in the bud from the very beginning. That's when you take your one and your two and your three-year-old and you use those years of training ground. It's not that you sit back and laugh and think that it's cute. You don't think that they will grow out of it because they just grow more into it. And it is something that is very important that if you're going to ever win the heart of that child, that they will ever be tender toward the things of God. It comes in the training ground of our homes that we teach them what obedience looks like and how we act on it. Now, we're no perfect parents by any means, but in our home, obedience is not an option because it is an attribute of godliness. I obey my heavenly father. And if I choose to disobey my heavenly father, consequences come. And the same in our home, parents, that we need to learn. This week that I saw, or one of the top stories this week, was that the new Congress showcases religious diversity. The new group that has just been um, brought in, sworn in this past week, it shows a, a religious diversity, but this was the st statistic says, but it is still mostly Christian, our Congress. Hmm, okay, well, um, th that's a neat header, I guess. There's religious diversity, but mostly Christian. Now, here's a good example of many who are trying to live the form of godliness, the appearance of godliness, but lack the power. So Timothy reminds us, or the writing from Paul to Timothy reminds us, that if these attributes that are listed in verses 1 through um, one through five, if these are characterized of our life, we're just living this appearance of godliness, but we lack the real power that lives within us. That's the world that compromises our principles, and we have to be careful. You know, also the heart affects the belief, and the belief affects our action. I believe, and then my belief will cause me to act out on it. That's why in Discover Parkway we say that that doctrine is what breeds or propels our duty the way we live because it is what we believe causes us to live the way we live. And if you're not willing to take God's word for what it is and you want to be separated from that and you'll live your way, then you will choose to live a life of no power working within you and a life separated from God. The verse says, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And there are too many people in, in this world that are trying to live the form and appearance of godliness. I'll take my Christianity label, but they're lovers of pleasure instead of lovers of God. Because God clearly put it, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And God's commandments are very clear to be lived by. So we're in a dangerous, difficult time. And we must be discerning. We must be protective. We must be spirit-led. We must be active, and we must be alert. Parents, men, you're going to find this resource this coming week. Here's a website, PluggedIn.com. PluggedIn.com will give you guidance on your entertainment choices. It will let you know what is in these movies. It'll let you know what are in these TV shows. It'll let you know what's in the music. Always go to that. Mary Poppins. We still wanted to find out what is in Mary Poppins. What will come out of the mouth of that wicked Mary Poppins, right? So we're always checking plugged in. What is it that our kids are going to be exposed to? Uh, so that's a great resource, pluggedin.com. And by the way, be willing to look at it with an open heart and say, 
this really isn't something that I want my kids to be exposed to. This is not the content. It gives you sexual content. It gives you language. It gives you the other things that are going to be very questionable. And, uh, and don't think that you're training your kids to be discerning, okay? Because a nine-year-old is not discerning. I can guarantee you that. And so there are other ways that you will train them not to keep them in a bubble for the rest of their life, but to help them to see that there are forms of entertainment that are pointless and useless to fill our mind as a lover of God in. So don't be tricked by lovers of pleasure. Be passionate about the things of God. Parents, we're responsible. Teens, college students, develop a biblical worldview. Teenagers, some of you in here, you have things in your life that you just love so much. It takes your time, your energy, and your passion. And if you start to dissect it and look at it, that has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do against him. So design a biblical worldview. Also to our grandparents, be praying. Don't be critical. Be prayer warriors. Pray for those kids, those teenagers, your family. And then as a church, we must pursue the integrity and purity of the gospel and of the trace of God. Secondly, in verse number seven, not only do they look to compromise our principles, but also change our identity. That's what they did with these four men. Daniel's name means God is my judge. And the king changed it to Belteshazzar, meaning Bel, false god, protect the king. Then Hananiah, his name meant the Lord is gracious, changed his name to Shadrach, which means command of Aku, a Babylonian god. Then Mishael means who is like the Lord, changed it to Meshach, means who is what Aku is, again, the Babylonian god. And then Azariah means the Lord is my helper, changed his name to Abednego, which means servant of Nego or Nabo, a god of vegetation. All the, by the way, man-made gods, false gods, okay? So even though their identity was changed, uh, this did not change who they really were. They tried to change their identity, but they didn't change their character. It didn't change who they were or who, what they stood for. They understood that they were still sons of the living God, and sometimes the world tries to change our identity. Think about it in your workplace. Maybe the boss gets under your skin. He seems unfair. Maybe, a, maybe it's a coworker who pulls on your last string or gets under your last nerve. Or How do you respond? Do you respond like the unrighteous, like the world? You get angry. You get impatient. You get bitter. You complain. You're critical. Maybe you're selfish or prideful. It's all about you. Maybe we could respond with a very steady spirit continuing to be patient as we work through that, being dependable in the workplace, and being honest. Maybe for school, students in here, college, high school, middle school, friends will tempt you to engage yourself in something that you know is wrong. And teenager, when you do dumb things, don't think that you can just blame it on the fact that you're just a dumb teenager, okay? That doesn't work all the time. Now, you may can fool once or twice, but you have the opportunity to be led by the Holy Spirit. Even as a 12, 13, and 14-year-old, you are led by the Holy Spirit to choose right over wrong. And when you're tempted in your school place, or you're tempted in your school world, or you're tempted with your friends to do something that you know is not right, don't look for immediate gratification. Don't look for that which you think is going to bring you success or popularity. Maybe you think, I just don't want to be made fun of or ridiculed, but instead, strive to be trustworthy 
Be respectful and respectable. Build up that trust in your mom and dad toward you. And then for all of us, we all have friends. We all have peers. We have people that we enjoy being around. Does, the, does, that, does that environment try to change our identity? Maybe we go on vacation with some friends. And while out with our friends on vacation, maybe some of their habits become our habits. Some of the things that they do become what we do. We become critical, complaining. We don't pray over our meals. We don't set aside time to strengthen our relationship with God because we're just too busy or too focused on other things. It's so easy to allow things in our life to distract us. And then as a church, you know, the church, they're trying to change our identity. They try to label us as hate mongers, judgmental, rude, and isolationist. But we need to let the love of Christ call us to show the love of Christ to others. That doesn't mean we sugarcoat anything or turn a blind eye, but we can be gracious, we can be kind, and we can be caring. There are hurting people all around us that are just looking for somebody to approach their life with care and with love, not quick judgment. And you say, well, you do, I'm just one of those guys that call black and white. I just call it as I see it. That's fine. Because there does come a time where we have to be open and honest about what is right and wrong. But there also comes this time because you and I are not Jesus Christ. So don't use the excuse of what Jesus did in the temple as the way I'm going to handle every other situation. It's interesting that that's the one example we always want to run to. How Jesus just threw the tables over and took the whip and cast everybody out. And Jesus was bold and brazen that day. That's the example we always want to be defined by, isn't it? But the reality is, as you look at example after example of how Jesus dealt with hurting people. And when he dealt with hurting sinful people, he showed grace and love and patience. And that's what we need to be of. We don't need to be known as the group that's always standing on the corner with our sign, casting judgment on everybody else who disagrees with us. We don't need to be labeled as the church that is, is so abrasive that if anybody comes in here that's different or acts different or talks different or looks different than us, they're just not welcomed. That's not us. That's why I love Parkway, because that's never been us. That's never been this body of believers. You are open, you are welcome, you are loving, and you come beside somebody to walk through life with them to show them grace and the love of Jesus. Why? Because you realize that you are who you are only by the grace of God. That you're nobody special, you're no super saint, you're no holy Joe, but they're all, all in this together trying to live life every day. Let me put my arm around you and walk through life with you. Let's pray together and let's work through. Millennials do that or just... That, that goes throughout the whole age bracket. That doesn't mean just the millennials, this body together, loving God and loving people. The world is going to train, try to change our identity, but we need to rise up and stand strong. We need to help them to see. You may label that church down the group, uh, down the road, or you may want to label that a denomination, whatever way you want, but don't judge Parkway Baptist Church until you know the people of Parkway. And that's the responsibility we have to express that. And so here, let the world try to change our identity. They'll call us hate mongers, but what they're just going to find out is that we're just truth lovers. We want God's word to stand firm, and we will stand strong in what we believe. But you know what? That puts a responsibility in our shoulders, is that we cannot be hypocritical. Because we can't, stay, we can't say in a crowd like this, that's me, I'll rise, I'll do it, and then we try to blend in with the crowd. Remember what Romans 12 says? 
Romans 12 reminded us, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Don't move past that. A living sacrifice means that I am living day in and day out as the slave of God. This day is not about me. This church is not about me. This worship is not about me. Too often we just pass over being a living sacrifice because we say, well, I'm ready to be in the Lord's army. You call on me and I'll stand strong and firm. Here we go. You better watch out. The living sacrifice says, I humbly approach the will of God to be his slave and his servant. Then he continues by saying, not only to be a living sacrifice, but to be defined by holiness, which is acceptable unto God for his reasonable service. Verse 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This word conformed, we know it refers to assuming an outward expression that does not really reflect what is on the inside. It's an act. If you were here for Christmas at Parkway, the three pastoral staff members put on goofy outfits and they acted in roles. Nerdy Ned, biggest dork of them all. Uh, Scott, who were you? Corn-fed Fred. I don't know. He's got him beat. That's a, that's a big dork right there. Sounds like a Roll Tide fan, doesn't it? And, uh, and then we had Old Man Ed. And uh, these guys, that was putting on an act. That, the outward appearance did not reflect what was really inside. I can guarantee you that, all right? It's not what's on the inside. So he says, don't be conformed. Don't take on the mold or don't be take on the appearance of something that's not really on the inside. So let the outside, the words, the actions by which you live, let that represent what's truly on the inside, a living, powerful Holy Spirit. Then he be identified on the outward appearance by trying to be of worldliness, ungodly philosophies and teachings, because that's not what's on the inside, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's a daily activity, the renewing of your mind. God, here I start my new day. May my mind be renewed in you. Yesterday I saw some victories, but I also saw some defeats. Today may I see victories that would far outweigh those defeats. Help me to be kind to my wife and patient to my kids. Help me to be loving to my coworkers and patient with my manager. Help me today to be kind to the strangers that I will meet. Lord, today may I be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Why? so that I might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Last thing is in verse 8. Not only do they change our identity, but they challenge our beliefs. In verse number 8, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. This is the true choice of a champion. Now, Daniel resolved in his heart that he would not do this sin, The pagan food and drink was devoted to idols. The meat, the king's meat, the king's wine would have been dedicated to false deities, to false gods. They would have been dedicated as as a sacrifice or as an offering to these false gods. And so for Daniel to look, he's not a vegetarian. It's not as if he can't have the meat. But he realizes that for him as a Jewish boy, this would have been something that would have been defiling against his Belief, it would have been something against his principles. It would have been against his calling of God in his life. And so Daniel was secure in what he believed. He would not waver from it. He did not change. He remained steadfast. 
I'm reminded of what Paul would write to the church at Thessalonica. He would say, my, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, you, this had to have been very overwhelming for Daniel. Then think about it. I know we like to picture Daniel lion's den, Daniel uh, reading uh, or, or interpreting the dreams or reading the handwriting on the wall. We like to picture Daniel as this very seasoned man. This is a man that no doubt would stand firm for all of his years. By the way, his lifespan would go through the 70 years of exile in Babylon. So he was promoted to high positions within this, uh, within this exile. But understand that this is not seasoned Daniel at this moment. This is 16-year-old Daniel who is away from home. He's away from family. He's, um, he is having this opportunity to face real pressure and what will he do? He decides to stand firm and not to compromise. By the way, compromise always leads to loss. Compromise will always lead to loss. When you compromise in an argument, you're giving in to a loss of some sort. Uh, when you compromise in a situation, you're giving in, you're giving up, and you're losing out on something. There's so many principles in life by how we live that this is really important for us not to compromise. But in our spiritual world, we cannot compromise because we will always lose. The church cannot compromise because we will always lose. That's why it's important that we understand what we believe, developing a biblical worldview on topics like the virgin birth, creation, shedding of blood, the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection, salvation by grace through faith and the imminent return of Christ for the church, eternal security for our salvation. And then all of the things that we're facing in society today, we can find that if we just have a conversation with somebody about abortion, homosexuality, and we talk about divorce and some of these issues that are really pertinent in a very growing, corrupt society, that you will raise the hairs on the back of somebody's neck. You will quickly spark some interest. And usually it's not going to be a smooth conversation. Several years ago on preciousness of life in the womb from Psalm 139. And there were churchgoers, church people, who in the form of godliness found it appalling that we were against abortion. And so that's real. That topic is real. Uh, so as a church, we have to know what we believe and why we believe. It's not because it's some statement that was in a 1980 version of the Constitution. That's not the case. It's always looking to see how we are prepared and protected from God's word for the society and world that we live in today. So we know that Daniel was challenged, but he purposed in his heart that he would not defile God. Now, the rest of the story unfolds. We're going to look at it later tonight because we're going to look at what God blesses when we see that the choices that we make and how God works his blessings. So we'll study verses 9 through the rest here uh, later tonight. He says, as Christians, we're all aware that our enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil, they are out to destroy our very being. John 10.10 10 reminds us that we have to take it personally because the enemy wants to destroy, to kill us. He wants to steal your joy and your effectiveness. He wants to destroy your testimony. Ultimately, he'd like to eliminate you. And he'll do anything in his power with his army and his force to do that. And so we have to take that personally because of what Daniel compromised, he would not be listed in the hall of fame, the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, for standing strong and not having a spiritual failure. 
D.L. Moody would write in his uh, anecdotes, he would write these stories. uh, And this is a powerful story that he gave that I found this past week. A young man had enlisted in the military, and he was sent to his regiment. The first night, he was in the barracks. He was with about 15 other young men who passed the time playing cards and gambling and just passing the time by. Before going to sleep each night, he would fall on his knees and he would pray. And then these guys began to curse him and jeer at him. And they would, they would even throw boots at him to try to distract him and, and cause him to feel their hatred. So it went the same way night after night for the next few nights. And finally, the young man got really tired of it. And so he, he told the chaplain what was taking place. And he asked what he should do, thinking that the chaplain would be able to help him and give him some good advice. Well, said the chaplain, you're, you're not at home now. And the other men have just as much right to the barracks as you have. It makes them mad to hear you pray. And really, the Lord will hear you pray just as well if you say your prayers in bed and don't provoke them. So for weeks after that, the chaplain really never saw the young man again to ask him anything. But one day, he finally saw the young man. They connected. And he said, by the way, did you take my advice? The boy said, well, I did. I tried it for two or three nights. He said, well, good. How'd it work? He said, well, said the young man, I felt like a whipped hound. And so on the third night, I got out of bed, I knelt down, and I prayed. (sighs) The chaplain at this point didn't feel sorry for him and said, well, how did it work? (laughs) The young soldier answered, well, actually, now we, we have a prayer meeting there now every night. And three of the men have been converted to Christ, and we're praying for the rest. You know, our stories may not always end so beautifully, or you could say so magically, but it might. Are you willing to find out? You see, if the world wants to call us fools, let them do so. If It's only going to last for a little while, because the return of Christ is coming. The crowning day will soon be here. We need to thank God for the privilege that we have for standing for truth and righteousness, and I can guarantee it. You will never regret living for God. That passage in Timothy will rattle your cage. May we not be described as a lover of passions over a lover of God. So may we too, like Daniel and his three friends, rise to the occasion and stand for truth without compromise.